I want to say amen to what David said. <clears throat> the rain's beautiful. It smells good outside. It feels good outside. It feels good in here, too, to be with each of you. I'm glad to be here this morning. I love the songs that we have sung, and it's my prayer as we open up God's Word this morning that the fire that's within us will be reignited, will be reinvigorated, and that we will uh, seek to be better Christians. <clears throat> as we open up our study this morning, I want us to think about how we, by nature, as men, as women, as people, are seekers. We start seeking things uh, from the time we're born. A little child, a little baby can't communicate. They can't go out and find those things that they seek. But they can communicate very loudly and very clearly. And sometimes all throughout the night, I am not happy. Fix my life. As we begin to move and be able to go seek things on our own, we might begin to crawl and we might go seek those toys. Or maybe that outlet that my mean parents won't let me stick something into as adults we are seekers right we get up we walk to the fridge we open up the fridge and then we decide we don't want anything but we we seek for things we seek for abstract things too we don't just proceed or seek for things that we can see we seek for championships we seek for degrees we set goals abstract things we seek relationships we seek friendships with certain individuals and there might be a special person that we seek to live our lives with as a spouse. But as Christians, we know that we also have to balance life and we have to seek spiritual things as well. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So we have a balance to strike. We're not just to be seeking things of this nature, but we're so, of this world and its nature, but we're to be seekers of spiritual things. And throughout the New Testament, we're told what kind of things we need to be seeking. What are spiritual things? Here's an example in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, he says, Flee the things that he talked about just before this verse and pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, Pursue love, pursue patience and gentleness. So every day when we wake up, we go about our lives and we have all these things to seek. Physical things, spiritual things. And we have to find a balance and try to do every one of those things. But I think sometimes we forget about the most important thing that we need to be seeking. And we get so focused on seeking righteousness that we forsake, we forsake to seek the God of righteousness. We get so intent on pursuing faith and building my faith that we forget to think about the God of faithfulness to us and the God of love. And we get so focused on things. And we wake up in the morning and we're trying to take care of our physical things, our physical needs, and we go throughout the whole day and we never thought about God. We never thought about Him. It's easy for us to sometimes to dilute relationships down to boxes to check and duties, and tasks. But God does not want us to check off boxes for Him. He wants us to seek Him. And so this morning, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about being in a deep pursuit for God. As the song that we sing, draw us nearer to God. Draw me near. That's what I want to talk about this morning. 
I want to look at three different points. Number one, God wants us to seek Him. That's, that's an important thing to, for Him. He is seeking us, and He wants us to seek Him in return. Number two, Christianity. I want to look at what Christianity looks like when we forget to seek Him, when we're just checking off boxes and performing tasks out of duty, versus a person who is doing those same things, but they're seeking God. And then last of all, I want to look at an example of David, who was a man after God's own heart. And he was that way because he sought intently to be, or to, to seek God. So let's begin by first looking at God seeks us and he wants us to seek him. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, the Bible says that God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. Let's take our minds back to the garden and let's think about God's perfect world that he created. The world he created was exactly like he wanted it to be. And a part of that design was what? Adam and Eve were there in the garden, and God walked with them, and he talked with them, and he had a relationship with them. That was God's perfect design. He wants a relationship with mankind, and that's why he created the garden that way. And this was the way he wanted. But if we're familiar with the story of Adam and Eve, and we know what they did, They chose to serve themselves. They chose to pursue what they wanted versus serving God. And they partook of that fruit. And when that happened, what happened between them? They were exiled from the garden. They were separated. Not from just the garden, but they were separated from God. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Just like Adam and Eve were separated from God, each one of us, When we choose to go our own way, we choose to serve ourselves. When we choose to sin, that sin separates us from that holy and righteous God who created us. We see this happen on us, uh, or to us on an individual level, like it did with Adam and Eve. But really, that's the story of mankind. Mankind in rebellion against God, and mankind separated from God. And so when we open up our Bibles, what's this all about? What's it all about? It's about God drawing mankind to himself and paving a pathway for us to have a relationship with him again. And we see that happen in Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, and the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Christ came to this earth, he lived as man, And his goal was to make it possible for us to be with God again. That's what the Bible is all about. And we see Paul preaches on this um, in the Areopagus. He was in the city of Athens in Acts chapter 17. And he begins to preach in the marketplace. And there were some guys that liked what he had to hear. And he said, hey, come. There's a bunch of guys gathered in this place called the Areopagus. Come and tell us what you have to say. And so Paul does this, and in Acts chapter 17, verse 22, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, and I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples 
made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. These men had never heard of the God of the Bible. They didn't know about Abraham. They didn't know about David. So Paul doesn't go through the Jewish history. This is a Gentile audience. And these were people who wondered, why? Why did God create the world? Why did God do this? Why is it set up this way? Why, why, why? And he tells them, God created us. He gave pre-appointed times for people, places for us to dwell. And he says, but ultimately, God created us so that we might seek the Lord so that we might grope for him as someone who's in darkness, feeling around, trying to find him. That's the purpose. God wants us to seek him, and he's made himself available. He is not far from each one of us. Now you might be saying, well, I'm a Christian this morning. Why do I need to seek God? I already have him. That's a fair question. When we become Christians, we have that relationship with God. We remember what Jesus said about being his disciples. If we want to be his disciples, we have to take up our cross daily and follow him. We don't get to become a Christian and never put in the work, never seek God, never put in the effort. But it's a daily pursuit. It's a daily taking up our cross. It's a daily following. Where we put our eyes, as Luke prayed in his prayer, we put our eyes upon Christ and we follow him diligently. God did not create us just to do tasks on this earth and then go be with him one day. But he created us to pursue him daily, to love him and to desire him. Seeking God is not an accident. It's an intentional seeking. We all want to please God, don't we? We want him to be happy with us. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews talks about the kind of faith that pleases God. He says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek to do a bunch of stuff for God so God can let them into heaven. It's not what He says. He wants us to seek Him, to love Him, diligently pursue Him. The kind of faith that God wants us to have is not just a mental thing that we know about God and we know He's there, but He wants us to be in diligent seeker of him not a faith about doing things from religious duties but to seek him and to seek to be as near to him as possible he says that he wants to be a rewarder of those who diligently seek him what is that reward james chapter 4 verse 8 tells us draw near to god and he will draw near to you the reward that god promises for those who seek is not a good life the reward that God promises is not freedom from sin or just freedom from sin. The reward that God promises is not the church. It's not blessings from God. It's not going to a wonderful place after this life. The greatest reward that we can receive by seeking Him is God Himself. All the things that are good and all the things that could benefit us come from Him. He is the source of all those things. And God says, I'm not just going to give you things, but I'll give you myself. And you can have a relationship with Him. He is the most wonderful thing in existence. And He says, 
I'm available. I'm ready to pursue you. Or I've pursued you. Are you ready to pursue me? So we need to be those who draw near to God. And as I've thought about this over the last few years, I'm a little convicted by it, or a lot convicted, really. And as I've thought about some of the struggles that I've had in our marriage, I've recognized that some of the struggles I have in our marriage are the same struggles I have with God. Bethany and I have been married for a few years and hadn't always been butterflies and roses. Sorry to disappoint you. Um, after that initial infatuation and that initial fire that you have, eventually you kind of settle into a rut. And marriage just becomes a series of tasks to do. I love Bethany. I care for her. So what am I going to do? I'm going to clean the house for her every once in a while. I'm going to take out the trash. And I'm going to go work. And I'm going to get up early and I'm going to work like a dog so that she can stay home with the kids. And I can make all these sacrifices for her. And I can do all these things for her. But you know what Bethany wants? She wants me to pursue her. Not to just do stuff for her. She wants me to long for her, to care for her, to tell her about my day, to share my struggles with her. She wants me to live with her and to pursue her and to seek her. Isn't the same true with God? God doesn't want us just to say, I'll not do all these things and I'll do all these things for you and then you can give these things for me. That's not what God wants from us. He doesn't want us just to do duties and perform tasks and make sacrifices. He wants us to pursue Him, to love Him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. So this is a personal struggle for me. This is something that I've struggled with and I'm trying to do better. I'm a work in progress. But I want to view the lens of Christianity not with doing a bunch of things. And I don't want it to be like the struggle I've had in my marriage. I want it to be a personal pursuit of God. So I want to talk about the differences and what Christianity looks like when we're not pursuing the relationship with God and what Christianity looks like when we're seeking God. So I've got this chart here. And I want to talk about a few things that we do as Christians. <clears throat> One of the things that we can do as Christians without seeking God is read the Bible. Every day, people read the Bible without seeking God. Atheists do it. They open up the Bible and they look for contradictions and fallacies. And they're trying to find ways to prove that Christianity is wrong. We as Christians can read the Bible without one thought of God in our minds. Sometimes we go to the Bible because we've had a discussion with somebody at work. And they challenge my belief. And so I'm going to go to the Bible not to seek God and not to seek the truth. And not to seek what God has said. But I'm looking for proof text to make my point right. I have done that. I wasn't seeking God when I was reading the Bible. Sometimes people go to the Scriptures and we're looking for loopholes and ways to twist Scripture to suit our desires. Sometimes we're so focused on learning about facts and information that we forget about seeking God. So we make the Bible somewhat of a chore, somewhat of a duty that we have to do. But instead, when we're seeking God... And we want to know about Him. We want to learn about Him. We want to honor Him with our actions. We go to the Bible and we see it not as a task to do, but as an opportunity 
God has made himself aware or made himself known to me through the scriptures. And if I open this up, I can learn about him. I can learn about his wonderful character. I can learn about his marvelous ways. I can learn about his love and his faithfulness and his mercy and his judgment and his righteousness and all those wonderful things that he's done for mankind and he's done for me. And it becomes not a task, but an opportunity that I can't get enough of. One of the passages that we talk about when it comes to studying is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. He says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I really understand a baby that is desiring the milk. I really understand that. We've got one right now. And I see that desire and I think, okay, I'm supposed to have that same kind of desire for the Word of God that my son has for, the, for milk. And so I try to create in myself this desire and I try to manufacture this desire. I need to study it. I need to read it. I need to read it. I need to want it. That desire that he has for milk is not something that he has to think about. It's instinctual because he has experienced that satisfaction from that milk. And he knows, if I want that satisfaction, I go back to it. Verse 3 is the key of, of this point. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Babies don't have to manufacture the desire to want to study. <laughs> they don't have to manufacture the desire to want to drink that milk. It's instinctual. They want it. They've tasted it. It brings that satisfaction. And he says, if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious... You're going to want to go back. There's a lot of good food that I've eaten in my life. You know what? I don't have to, fo- I really have to focus and really have to create a desire. If it tastes good, I'm taking another bite. And if it's really good, I'm going back for seconds because I can't get enough of it. When we look at the Word of God as an opportunity to get to taste how good God is and how wonderful He is and how marvelous He is, we don't have to manufacture that desire. It's something that we can't get enough of. And so we go to the Bible, not as a chore, not as a task, but as an opportunity to taste how wonderful God is. So Christianity, without the relationship, without seeking God, I've known, I know this, I've done it. It becomes a chore, it becomes something that I feel guilty because I don't do enough of. We need to change our mindset and look at studying the Bible, not as a task or a duty, but as an opportunity for us to get to know God better. What about praying to God? You know, there's some people I don't really like to be around or I don't want to talk to. And so, if I have no desire to talk to them, I'm not going to talk to them. And if we have no desire to get closer to God, to draw nearer to God, guess what? We're not going to be talking to Him. And there's people in the Bible who did that. The Pharisees, they prayed, and what was their focus on prayer? They prayed in the street corners so that everyone could see, wow, look how religious they are. It was all about what they could get from the prayer. Some people do it for others to see. Other people pray not because they desire God, but because they desire what God can give them. I was visiting with a guy the other day, a couple weeks ago, and he told me that he'd been praying to God, and I was excited about it. I said, what have you been praying about? Well, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And what else? Oh, that's all I prayed about. For him, praying to God was not 
getting to know God better, not to express his thoughts and his desires and his thankfulness and his struggles to God. For him, it was a Christmas list that he writes to Santa Claus to get the stuff that he wants. He had problems in his life, and he wanted to tell God how God could fix it. In James chapter 4, verse 3, James talks about this. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Sometimes we come to God and all we're focused on is not what we can get. Not, we're not focused on getting closer to Him. We want more of the stuff that He can give us. We call that using. When people do that to us, they call us and we know, oh, something's wrong. We have a problem. That's the only time they call me. And all they care about is getting what they can out of us. Sometimes God might feel that way about His people, that we only pray to Him when things are bad. But instead of that, when they're seeking God, prayer is an opportunity to speak to God every time I pray. I could talk with Him. I could visit with Him. I could tell Him how my day is going. I could tell Him the things that I'm struggling with. So we have, fr- we have some people that call us, and every time they call us, it's because they need something. But then we have other people that we know that they just like us as individuals. And they call us, and they text us, and they send us videos, they send us pictures, memes, whatever. Bethany and I do that every day. She sends me pictures of the kids while I'm at work, and she asks me about my day, and we talk to each other. That's the kind of relationship God wants. He doesn't want to be someone we only talk to so we can get stuff from Him. Prayer becomes a burden and a task where we are only interested in what He can give us. What about assembling with the church? Sunday mornings, it's weekends. I've got all the stuff going on Monday through Friday, sometimes Saturday. Sunday's my day off. Why should I get up and go be with the saints? Why should I make the effort? Why should I put on my fancy clothes? Why should I do all these things? Sometimes coming to the assembly of the church can be something that we do with the wrong mindset. When we do it out of tradition... When we do it out of obligation, and we're not doing it for the right reason, it's not, uh, it's not a, ch- a cheerful sacrifice to God. We're doing it for the wrong reasons. One of my oldest memories, um, I remember sitting in my dad's lap during one of the assemblies. It wasn't last week. It was, um, it was back at the old church building at 11th and Amarillo Street. And I remember sitting there, and he had his watch. And I remember when the minute hand faced up or down, I knew it was about to be over. And so I kept looking at his watch, and I kept watching that hand go and go and go. And I was ready for it to be over so I could play with my friends and do whatever I wanted to do afterwards. I wasn't there to worship God and to edify the saints. I was there for what I could get afterwards. Now, fortunately, I've made that transition to where I don't come here just for the things that I want. I don't come here just uh, out of obligation to make myself feel better. But I come here because this is a place I want to be. This is the people I want to be with. I want to learn about God. I want to sing songs of praise to God with all of you. I want to open up God's Word and learn more about Him. This is the best place to be on a Sunday morning. Assembling... With the church, if we have no desire, it becomes a chore. It becomes a task that we do just to check off our list. 
This is what God wants it to be for us, an opportunity to be with the family of God for worship and edification. Finally, not sinning. Christianity without relationship, if we're not seeking to draw closer to God, it just becomes something that it's just our self-will, our, our willpower, our self-control. And it's all about, I don't need to do this. Yet, I have those desires. I have the desires to go do those things. But I'm going to tell myself no. Because it's going to make God mad. But when we are seeking to be close to God, we're going to eliminate those desires. And that desire to be closer to God is going to push the desires to sin out of the picture. We will not do anything that will cause us to be far away from God because we want to be closer to to Him than anything. In Psalms chapter 119, verses 10 and 11, the psalmist says, With my whole heart I have sought you. This was not something that was half-hearted, but it was something that he did with all his heart. And he said, Because of that, let me not wander from your commandments. Here are your things that you've asked me to do, and because I want to be close to you, I'm not going to wonder from your commandments because that's going to jeopardize my relationship with you. And because of that, verse 11, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. We take the word of God and we study it and we get to know what God's will is for us, not because we have to do it, but because we want to. Because we know that if we commit those sins, it separates us from God. It hinders our relationship with God. So sinning or forsaking sin does not, uh, it's not about our willpower, but it comes more about, I want to be as close to God as I can be. So these are the, the different, we're doing the same things, but our motivation makes it so much different. I've done all the things that are there on the left side. It's a chore, it's a task, it's a burden. But that's not what God wants. God never asked me just to perform duties. He wants me to seek Him. And when I'm seeking Him, all these things become easier for me. But if we don't, it becomes a checklist of things that we have to do for God. And if we're not careful, sometimes we treat Christianity like a business transaction. I go to the grocery store and I give them money in exchange. They'll give me groceries. Sometimes we view Christianity like that. I do this, I do that. I go to church, I do this, I do that. And in exchange, God will let me get into heaven one day. That's a business transaction. That's not a relationship. That is not God's perspective, and that should not be our perspective. The right side of of this chart is a series of growing opportunities. Every time I pray, it's an opportunity to draw closer to Him. Every time I pray, or every time I study, it's an opportunity to draw closer to Him. When I can come and be with the saints, it's an opportunity to draw closer to Him. And I forsake all things that will lead me astray so I can be close to Him as possible. That's the mentality that God wants us to have. One of the great examples of men who gave up so much was Apostle Paul. And as we read through Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, Notice how his perspective was not, I'm just going to do things for God. But it's all about his relationship with God. And he remembers it. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. 
So all the things of this earth, I've given those up so that I could have Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Anything that was hindering Paul from gaining Christ, he forsook it. It's rubbish. I don't want it. I don't want it. Because the most important thing to me is for me to gain Christ. For me to have that relationship with Him. And in verse 9 he says, And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. You see, Paul's perspective was not, God's asked me to do these things, and I'm going to do them so that He can give me heaven, and He can give me these other things. He was motivated by love for God. He was motivated to sacrifice because he saw how good that relationship with God was. It was not about his willpower, but it was all about giving those things up so that he could get the better, so that he could gain Christ. So finally, what I want to talk about this morning is David's example of seeking God. We've talked about how God wants us to seek Him. We've talked about the difference between just doing things for God versus seeking God. And now I want to look at an example of the man after God's own heart who sought God diligently. And we can see it in one of the Psalms that he pins. Psalm chapter 63, and I want to read verses 1 through 8 and see what seeking God looked like for David. The Bible says this was a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And David says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory, because your loving kindness is better than life. And my lips shall praise you, thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Is this the kind of man who is going through the motions in his relationship with God? Those aren't the words of a man who was just doing duties for God. This was a man who longed for God. He wanted to be as close to God as possible. So I want to look at four uh, specific things about David's relationship with God. Number one, ownership. He wanted to own his relationship with God. He says, oh God, you are my God. You know, uh, there's a lot of celebrities and, and, and uh, famous people that we might know a lot about. You could take any football player, um, actor, musician, or maybe a politician. We'll use our recently uh, ex-president. I could say, what do you know about him? Well, I know he has, I know he has good po political views or bad political views for some people. I know he's controversial. I know he likes to be up at 3 o'clock in the morning on Twitter. I know he has a really cool hairstyle. I know a lot about him. None of us know him, though. 
We don't know if he snores while he sleeps. We don't know if he smacks his food while he eats. We don't know the kind of things that he says. We don't know him. We, we may know a lot about him, but we don't know about him. We don't know him. Some of us are content with knowing a lot about God, but we don't have an intimate knowledge of him. We don't really know him. David says, Oh God, you are my God. David was not content with God being the God of Abraham or the God of Moses or the God of Jesse, David's father. I'm not going to just follow you because of your relationship with these other men. I want you to be my God. David owned his relationship with God. and He longed for that personal connection with God. Sometimes I think we're willing to just have a relationship with God. God's a friend of my friend, or he's a friend of my dad. And because my dad has a great relationship with God, I'm going to follow God. David was not content with that. He wanted to know God intimately. He wanted to know God personally. Oh God, you are my God. Can we own our relationship? Or can we say that we own our relationship with God today? That we're personally seeking Him. Number two, David says, Early I will seek you. David was a man who had a lot on his plate. He had his things to do, his things to take care of. He was a husband. He was a father. He was the king of Israel. He had wars. He had battles. He had a lot of struggles in his life. He had a lot of problems and trials, both inside his family, outside his family. David could not afford to put those things in front of seeking God. He said, early I will seek you, both in the day, but in general, David's life, the pres- in David's life, the precedent was seeking God first. That took precedence over other things. In another psalm that David penned, in Psalm chapter 27, verse 4, David says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. So, we've all had conversations. You know, what if you found a genie and you rubbed it in there? Or you found a lamp and you rubbed the, the lamp and a genie came out. And he says, you can have one wish. What would it be? What would your wish be? Would it be a certain amount of money? Would it be this? Would it be that? Well, David tells us, if I could ask one thing of God, this is what it would be. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David said, of all the things I could ask God for, I want to be in the house of God I will never get tired of it. I will never get bored of it. I will never grow weary of it. I want to be there. Because that's where God is. And then he talks about what he wanted to do in the house of God. Number one, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Now, we know what it means to stare at something that's beautiful. A beautiful sunset or sunrise, right? And as that sun's coming up, and we're looking at all the beautiful hues and the beautiful colors... And we don't take our eyes off of it because it's so beautiful. David said God is beautiful. Not physically, not literally seen with his eyes, but David wanted to behold the beauty of God's character, his love, his mercy, his justice. He wanted to just sit there and meditate on how wonderful God is. And David said, I could do that all of my days and never grow weary of doing it. 
Secondly, he says, I, want, I would like to inquire in his temple. I know all of this, and I know God's beautiful for these reasons, but I know there's so much more for me to learn about God. And he says, I could never grow weary with trying to get to know God better, to understand God better, to draw closer to Him. This one thing that he sought, to admire Him, to behold Him, and to get to know Him better. David said, this one thing I will seek, and I will seek it early. I will make it the most important thing in my life. Can we say the same thing in our own life? Or is God someone that is an afterthought, or He's on the outskirts of our mind, David couldn't afford to put all, those, all the things of this life ahead of God. He wanted to seek God early. Next, David talks about being satisfied in the relationship that he had with God. He says, My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. We know a little bit about that, not today. This is a dry and weary land. It's been really dry here. We've longed for that water. We've longed for that rain. David says that's how much his desire for God was. Now there's different le levels of desire. I may want something, but I can deal without it for a little bit. And there's other things I want really bad, and so I'm going to do what it takes to get it now. Well, David says... The desire I have for God is not just a desire, but it's the desire of my innermost being, my soul. My soul longs for God. And there's nothing else that can satisfy it. No amount of money, no amount of stuff, no amount of experiences, no person. My soul can only be satisfied in God. And then he goes on to talk about how God's loving kindness is better than life itself. David's life was good. He was the king. He had all the finer things of life, didn't he? Anything that he wanted, he could have. He says, the loving kindness of God is better. And if I had a choice, live and give up all those things that God has given me and the blessings of God and the favor and grace and the friendship of God, he says, I'd rather die than to not have that. David longed for God and he longed to be satisfied in God. Your loving kindness is better than life. The last thing that David talks about is everything. God was going to be a part of every aspect of his life. Notice the things that, that I have highlighted and the different parts of David's life that he talks about. He talks about his soul thirsting for God, his flesh longing for God. I've looked for you in the sanctuary with my eyes. My lips shall praise you. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied. My mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you in my mind, my soul follows close behind you. God is not just on the outskirts of David's life. David invited him to be a part of every aspect of his life. Everything that God did, God was, everything David did, God was a part of it. He integrated God into every aspect of his life. With all his being, David loved God with his mind. David loved God with his soul. David loved God with his strength. David loved God with his heart. Every aspect of God, or every aspect of David, he was trying to seek God. He talks about thinking of God not only during the day, but even when he was up at night. He was pondering about God. He was meditating on God. 
He was thinking about God. This was not just some minor goal in David's life, but this was something he did, and it was at the forefront of his mind. So once again, can we say the words of this psalm? Can we say that God is playing a role in every aspect of our life like David did? Can we sing the words of this psalm truthfully? Can we say that we thirst for God like David did, for nothing else in this world but just for God? Do our lips praise Him daily? Do we think about God late into the night? Do we desire God like David did? Or are we just going through the motions as Christians, trying to do tasks so that we can please God? David longed for God. and He wanted to be closer and closer to God each and every day. So, seeking God. We've talked about different things. We've only scratched the surface on what it means to seek God. Do a, a search, a Google search, or use your concordance and look for all the phrases that talk about seeking God. There's a ton of scripture about seeking God, seeking the Lord. Paul's a good example of that. David's a good example of that. But there are many other men who set the example of what it means to pursue God diligently. But my question for us today is, is, do we seek God? God wants us to seek Him. Or... Are we doing Christianity as just a set of tasks to do? Are we like David? Or there's, are there areas that we need to grow? Eternal life is knowing God. It's not duties. It's not tasks. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus in His prayer says, And this is eternal life. Not that we do things and then God is happy with us. It's that we know that we may know God, or that we may know. Jesus is praying to God, and he says that we may know you. He's talking about God there. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It all comes down to knowing God. Not knowing about God, but knowing him and his person. The manner in which eternal life is obtained is not a series of checklists of seeking things, doing a little bit more good than a little bit, than the bad that we do, but it's a true knowledge of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The word know that is said here is not something that we do one time, that, that they knew you or that they begin to know you. This is a constant action, something that we continually do. We continually to grow in our knowledge of God. We continually know about His character. We continually experience the love of God in our lives and continually conform to God's character and His will so that we can follow close behind Him, so that we can walk with Him everywhere and every day of our life. So this morning, wherever you're in life, you are in your life, I encourage you, whether you haven't been seeking God or whether you have, begin seeking Him now. Maybe you're not a Christian this morning. You have no relationship with Him. You feel that separation from God. Start seeking Him. Seek to know what His plan is for you, the gospel plan of salvation, how we can have a relationship with Him. Maybe you've been a Christian, but you're only seeking things, and you feel there's more room to get closer. Keep seeking Him. And then finally, maybe you are really close to Him, and you feel really close. There's always room to, to grow nearer and nearer. Keep seeking Him. I want to leave you with this this morning, Psalms 105, verse 4. Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His face evermore. 
Start seeking Him today and seek Him every moment of our life. Seek more knowledge of Him. Seek to follow Him more closely. Seek to make Him more and more the center of our lives. It's not an obligation, but it's an opportunity to get to know the God who created this world, an opportunity to experience His love and to know more and more of how, how good He is. This morning, we're going to sing an invitation song. <clears throat> this is not my invitation. This is not the church's invitation. This is the invitation of Christ. And he would use phrases like, Come unto me, all you who labor. It's not about doing things, but it's about coming to Christ. Letting Him wash our sins free and letting us have that relationship with Him. Christ is the person that we need to seek. And if you haven't done that this morning, but you would like to, the church here would love to help you with that. No matter what your circumstances, no matter where you're at in your life, Christ says, come. Come unto me. So if you have a spiritual need this morning that the church can help you with, we want to help you. And let it be known by coming and sitting on one of these front pews as we stand and sing.